This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about investing. More specifically, we're talking about ways that tech employees may generate passive income by investing in real estate. Now, as you may expect, I am by no means the world's foremost expert in the world of real estate investing, so I decided I better call up someone who is. Christopher Nelson is a 20-plus year technology executive with two exits under his belt, a real estate investor, an educator, and an author. Christopher serves as the co-founder and principal of Wealthward Capital, a private equity investment firm based out of Austin, Texas, and he's also built professional services practices, run small businesses, and helped take Splunk through an IPO and grow to a billion-dollar company. So, needless to say, Christopher is one of the go-to experts in the worlds of both technology and real estate investing. So with that brief introduction, welcome Christopher Nelson to the Tech Money Podcast, sir. Malcolm, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here and uh, excited to to have this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time to do this. Um, I, I kind of breezed through your your long resume uh, there in my intro. What else should I have included about you? I think the key thing to also include is that one of my passions and what I think is also so important for technology employees that I know is your main audience is there's also a strategic way to think about working for equity. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I'm writing in a book I'm going to publish later this year is how do you think of yourself, the technology employee as the asset? And how do you actually invest that in the right companies? Because one of the things I found in going through my exits is that there is a difference between each company where you invest yourself and, and what that equity play may be. It's almost as if you read my script over on this side of the the microphone, because that's actually where I want to start this conversation. We talk quite a bit about equity and the importance of owning equity and the value of those shares on this uh, this very podcast and on the, the Tech Money blog. And one of the things that jumped out to me about you guys shop and your approach specifically uh, uh, as a uh, as an author is your focus on that same thing, the the importance of equity for 
uh, folks in the tech community. Can you say a little bit more about that? I, I, I know you mentioned the book is forthcoming, so I won't ask you to necessarily give away all the golden nuggets, but give us a little bit more of your, your thought process around that, having been there and done that, so to speak. Well, yeah, and, and I'm happy to lay out the 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 construct and the framework that I'm trying to educate people in the book. And this Please. is, again, why I'm a, a fan of everything that you're doing too, Malcolm, because technology employees need to understand that in the transaction of negotiating for equity, they are the asset, mm-hmm. right? When I'm sitting across the table and I'm am, am putting pen to paper and I'm signing up for an equity agreement, in that negotiation, I need to position myself as the asset, I need to prize myself as the asset, and I need to make sure that I'm bringing that to the negotiation table to ensure that I'm getting as much as I am worth. And not everybody thinks that way. And I think Mm -hmm. that to me is number one is thinking about, and one of the things I call out in my book is you have to think about what you've created in yourself as career capital. And career capital to me is your education, your experience, and your results. And if you're able to then articulate and tell the story around it, that is then going to help you command, you know, more equity. But so say a little bit more about the equity side of it. So I understand the importance of negotiating for more. That's actually Mm. an episode we just had uh, a little bit ago, I think episode 34. Um, was about negotiating your, for more equity or the importance of negotiating for more equity. But once I have it, let's say company it. A, whether it's a startup or it's a, a, a one of the more well-known incumbents, right? One of the FANG companies. Talk more about the importance of that equity once I have it. What should I be thinking about as it relates to you know that lump sum, that concentrated? Great question. So, or, or I think what people need to realize is that as soon as they get the equity, that's when they start managing it. I think mm-hmm. that one of the, you know, having been through uh, a couple IPOs, the most interesting thing to me is when people get to that exit, they get to that event, that's when a lot of people start thinking, oh, I have this equity, what should I do with it? Mm-hmm. The first thing that I think people need to do is they need to sit down and understand, did I just get an ISO, an incentive stock option? Did I do, am I getting RSUs? And what does that mean from me from a tax position? And then what does that mean for me from a portfolio position, as you mentioned, Malcolm, because it's really important that if we are in an early stage startup or a pre-IPO startup, a lot of those options have tax advantages, but Mm -hmm. they need to be planned and executed within weeks or months of owning that versus waiting until the liquidity event. So that to me is, is managing your equity and being on top of it is critical from the moment that you sign up. And I would argue, even as you're planning to work for those companies, that's one of the most important things too, is how do you select the company you're going to work for? Music to my ear, Chris, uh, excuse me, music to my ears, Christopher. Um, I say that because that is one of the things that in my day job as a financial planner, I'm constantly preaching to folks that like the ready, fire, aim, uh, uh, approach that once the company has filed paperwork and now made it, uh, public to their employees that they intend to go public at some future date, it's almost too late at that point to start strategizing, mm. right? You're at the mercy of whatever time will allow you to do at that point. The time to start strategizing is a couple years before then, when the rumors of an IPO start and you know that they're pretty uh, pretty close to real. The, the rumors are 
pretty close to truth. That's the point to start to actually plan and figure out what you want to be doing the six months that you have before uh, the IPO actually happens. But I digress. I, I, I think I've probably beaten that horse to death enough times on this uh, this show. Well, and sorry to cut you off, Malcolm, but I think I think what I can add, and we've all seen it, right, is we need to make sure that we're sharing what we're seeing out there in real life. And, and what's important for people to understand is how companies are actually changing positions to make it more advantageous and to make stock more beneficial to employees. For example, mm-hmm. I joined my most recent uh, company, GitLab, in June of 2020. As before, as I was preparing to enter this company, I'm reading the stock agreement, I'm getting familiar with everything, I was getting ready to receive a tranche of ISOs, incentive Mm -hmm. stock options. One of the things that I noticed is that this company had a clause in there that allowed me to, as soon as I joined, I could actually start exercising shares, which means that my strike price, price was no different than my fair market value. So I was not a, I did not have to pay any taxes on my exercising event. Yep. A lot of companies are starting to think about things like this, but this is again for people to take advantage of it, you know, and this is again I think a mindset that technology employees need to have. If you're going to go to work for equity, the same diligence you're going to do on planning for how you're going to manage that salary when you get that salary or that bonus, planning for how you're going to manage that equity is very important. And then I would also argue that once you do that, looking for the next company that you want to go to work for and thinking about what's the next type of equity you want to get, what is the the, the type of company that you want to work for, and um, what the result you may want to get is also just important. I am, as you're talking about this approach, I am, am hearing and thinking about uh, the similarities between high performing tech professionals and professional athletes where you're you're the talent right you are negotiating for uh future dollars based on previous performance and what the expectations of your future performance will be based previous performance and you're going to build additional skill set on top of what you've already been able to learn and accomplish and do just by a nature of uh becoming better at what you do from doing it long enough, right? The experience of doing what you do long enough. And it's almost the same. Like I'm hearing you talking about being strategic about where you go next with that skill set and using that skill set as the asset that you're leveraging for additional compensation and sort of being strategic in that way. And we could go in that, you know, direction down that rabbit hole for for quite some time. But one of the other things that stuck out to me when you first started talking about your newest your newest tour of duty, so to speak, is having the ability to exercise shares on day one, literally after yeah. you sign the equity agreement and you're in the, the, the pool, like you can literally start to, to exercise there. I think the thing they're important, the important thing to emphasize about that, excuse me, is the importance of having uh, cash available or having mm. resources available to have that optionality. Because, you know, where you mentioned Yes, I have the ability to start to buy these shares at their strike price, which is basically the exact same thing as their fair market value because the company's still young enough that it hasn't taken off in any meaningful way that would, you know, give me a, a pretty big spread in there. I'd have to worry about the the tax consequences of. That's when right. I heard you say that, it immediately made me think about that's the importance of either having access to liquidity or 
having a big enough cash pile built up that it gives you the optionality to take advantage of things like that as they come, which I'm sure is going to be a recurring through a recurring theme throughout the re- the remainder of this conversation we're about to have. But that was the first thing that that stuck out to me when you mentioned that. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack in that statement. I do I do yeah. want to go back to the to the the sports team analogy because yeah. there there is so much there, and this is one of the things that I really want tech employees to truly understand is that number one is building that career capital, which is like you said, that is the experience. That's what you've shown on the court. If I as I came as I exited Splunk and I had gone through this five year journey of growing this company from you know 130 million in revenue to a billion and people saw that they knew the stage that that was on and that opened a tremendous amount of doors for me that I knew that in those conversations I could leverage that for more equity but Mm -hmm. the but the other important thing there's two important dimensions here that I think are very similar to call out that is very similar to sports is number one is what's the franchise that you're going to Right. If you're a football player mm-hmm. and you're going to go to, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that you're going to be the quarterback there that has a great framework, has a lot of players around it that you know, okay, I'm not that far away from a ring. I'm not that far away from a tremendous IPO. That's going to be a different franchise than trying to resurrect the Browns or going to the mm-hmm. Jets, mm-hmm. God forbid. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also then there's also having the team around you. Like one of the things that I try to call out, you know, at the end of my books, like tips and tricks is follow the teams like everybody that i worked with at splunk that was in a leadership position i can now look at pre-ipo companies or companies that have already gone through ipos or exits and i can see where those people have gone because talent can see talent Uh, opportunity can see opportunity so to your point getting into this environment finding teams that you want to grow with and be on and trying to break through so you can get those solid ipo rings and wins and collect those that in my mind is then going to start unlocking this door to financial independence it's also a matter of being uh intentional is what i'm hearing you talking about that whole life planning aspect am i going to this team because the thing that matters most to me is getting paid right? Like a uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Tariq Hill situation, right? I'm going to the Dolphins and maybe we'll win a championship someday. Maybe we won't, but they're going to make me the highest paid player in the league and I'm okay with that. Or am I going to play for the Bucks because uh, uh, Tom Brady came back and I think he's going to give me my best shot at at winning? Or am I going to play for the the Belichicks because I expect that having a coach that has that level of you know control over the team and brings in that kind of discipline is going to be better for me as a younger player and going to help me learn some of those some of those same uh, uh characteristics of becoming a pro the way that it helped a young tom brady right like, those are all the things yep. that you take into account when making the decision of what company to go work for or what type of company to go work for or what leader to go work for and all those kind of things. Uh, really wrapping that up, what I hear you talking about is being intentional. It is very much being intentional and and trying to, you talked a little bit about a life plan is I think so mm-hmm. many people need to have a career plan and saying, okay, mm-hmm. who do I wanna to go to work for? What's the type of experience I want? Because this is the opportunity i think in working for technology because then we're able to accelerate through these large equity events we're able to accelerate the generation of equity that then we can start building a financial fortress that'll allow us to make different choices 
hundred percent. Well, let's turn the conversation there because you're you're about to have me completely blowing up the script and going off into the 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 uh, abyss with some of the other sports references and such that we could be tying <laughs> in here that then make the conversation interesting to you and I. But I don't know how how many other football fans right. actually listen to this. But one of the things that I find unique about your approach is that your your shop, Wealthward Capital, is built around uh, focusing on tech professionals specifically. Could you say a little bit about why the focus there is like, I want to help teach tech professionals how to generate passive income, or I want to help tech professionals understand how to create a second stream of income as part of their total compensation to themselves, so to speak. Like, why specifically tech professionals? Why not anybody who is a high earning professional? And I think it was it's truly how the company got founded malcolm mm-hmm. is is i i started my journey as i went through my sudden wealth event in 2012 went through my first ipo and, and literally all of a sudden one day multiple seven figure payday and it's mm-hmm. like okay now what i didn't come from money i didn't know how to deal with this my wife um you know didn't either and so what we did know though reading robert kiyosaki we wanted to have passive streams of income we wanted to have passive investments and at that point we're living in the bay area it was hard it was hard for us to figure this out and over time we did and it was actually as we made a an independent mutually exclusive life decision to relocate to the austin area that truly opened up real estate for us and we were very happy limited partners passive investors making a lot of investments and then friends back home who we share investing strategies and things together and i think coming up in the bay area it was always about equity how much equity do you have in the stock market where is it diversified or what kind of venture investing you're doing nobody mentioned the fact that the bond market was broken there's no more income in traditional portfolios mm-hmm. and so after we sought out real estate and we were telling everyone you know in 2016 2017 the great income as we were getting into investments that were generating eight nine ten eleven percent cash on cash return in our portfolio people started asking for help hmm. and it was at that moment that i had to take a step back and think about technology employees who suffer from tremendous burnout it's a crazy lifestyle and yep. What I witnessed was people go from the golden handcuffs, you know, of of having a great equity agreement, staying at a company maybe longer than they want to or longer than they arguably should to get that equity. And it leads them to the golden jail because it starts leaking Mm. into their lifestyle or, you know, especially if you're living in a high cost of living area, you want to get a larger home. Those things can cost millions of dollars and they have no income. So for them to get off of this carousel, they feel like I have to actually have 10 million in the bank, 15 million in the bank. And I I know people like this who they are literally, I know that they've got 10 to $12 million net worth and they don't know how they can stop working. And so that to me was a call that said, I need to help my people. And I'm not like, I speak to them. I wanna try and help solve their problems just like you do, I know. Um, But I'm open to anybody, you know, and a lot of people do. I have had athletes, I've had doctors, I've had um, other high earning professionals who come and want to invest alongside of us. But it was truly to help out um, my people and and the career and the the trajectory that I came from that that Wealthward was founded. Yeah, I, I could tell just based on your own background that it wasn't necessarily a, we are, uh, keeping other folks out. It was more of a, that's the language you speak and the folks that are in your personal network and just kind of naturally works out that way. But I appreciate you sharing the story, the origin story, if you will, of how it, how it actually came to be to, to help paint the picture of, you know, 
how and why your focus is, you know, where it is. Um, and you mentioned the idea of, uh, I won't even call it necessarily living above your means because with 10, $15 million net worth realistically above your means is probably not uh, a safe statement, uh, an accurate description uh, of a, of a person. But I will say that that's what we refer to as lifestyle creep, right? So uh, because my income has doubled in the last two years, I've also doubled my consumption over that time. And so now uh, it feels like I'm almost living check to check in a way, even though I do have uh, some pretty concentrated equity positions in one or two companies that, you know, I may have worked out or I work at it and my spouse works at or what have you. But on paper, we've got seven, eight figures of net worth. But in reality, it's going to be quite a while before we can access that. And so in the meantime, we feel uh, we feel house poor without it being the house, you know, necessarily. So yeah. I take oh, yeah. your point it's, there and it's not an uncommon uh, scenario, unfortunately. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up and framed it that way, because I think it's a good segue into what we ultimately wanted to talk about, which was how you have found uh, a way to generate additional income to supplement your income, even almost in some ways. Right. If I take a sabbatical for a year or two and I decide that I'd rather take some time off, give back to the community, do some reading, go get another degree, whatever I decide to do. I'm not so worried about how am I going to generate income at that moment because I'm not technically supposed to be able to retire yet because I'm a ways off from 65. Could you say a little bit about how you guys have positioned your uh income strategy using real estate. I know multifamily units is sort of your focus. Uh, How have you guys positioned this strategy for yourself as a way to generate that income that allows you the freedom and flexibility of enjoying life a little bit more than being bound to a laptop? So I I think to answer that question, right, I always go back to what was what was the portfolio strategy that you know, I grew up with, right? So, so for myself, went to, to college in the late 90s, graduated in the early 2000s, right? In that time frame, when I was really studying a lot of, of stocks and bonds and portfolios, I was preparing for my professional career. We had a healthy, thriving bond market and the traditional strategy was you want to have the amount of your age in bonds that were generating returns of, again, eight, nine, 10%. So if you mm-hmm. had a million dollars, you're getting $100,000 a year. So our strategy and what we're educating technology employees on is how do you take a significant amount of your portfolio and really generate, uh, you know, not a few hundred dollars a month, but how are you looking to truly replace a significant portion of your paycheck if you're making $250,000 a year, you know, Mm -hmm. can you deploy $1.52 million and you know, get $150,000 a year, $200,000 a year of passive income. That is what the ultra wealthy are doing. Like when you Mm -hmm. look at Tiger 21 and you look at a lot of these groups that have 10 million net worth or above, their Mm -hmm. strategy hasn't changed as the bond market declined. They haven't stayed confined to what I would consider the traditional markets. They've looked to alternatives like real estate, you know, and especially post the Jobs Act as crowdfunding took off. So our strategy is really uh, focusing on, you know, what are cash flowing assets that are going to provide downside protection, especially in a recession and mm-hmm. conservatively underwritten, you know, stress tested, and then truly deploying significant amounts of capital so that the checks that come out of that are meaningful. 
And then we're also not just that, but protecting that capital as well. And in many cases, expanding that. We're, we're finding that a lot of our properties that we got into in 2017, 2018, were pr providing eight to 9% cash on cash return and then exited providing a an additional 1.5, 1.6 equity multiple that can then be reinvested in cash flowing as well. And if I understand correctly, you guys are actually providing uh I won't necessarily call it financial advice. You'll tell me if I'm if I'm incorrect, and that is specifically what you guys refer to it as. But you guys actually will do a portfolio review to give folks some idea of what they can actually uh, a range of what they can actually expect to generate an income uh, based on the assets that they have and the income, the active income that they already have uh, in place. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I think what we provide people with, Malcolm, is is if you think about it, we're not trying to provide financial advice in the sense mm -hmm. is what we're trying to do is just provide an example. So, you know, what, what I show people who come and invest with us is, you know, my family is in the process of we've been over the last uh, four years investing a million dollars of our own money. And so we mm -hmm. show people, here's what we've done. Here's how we've allocated our portfolio. Here is truly the results. And then our invitation is, is we're curating done for you investments that are regulation D 506 C investments. We're just encouraging people to invest alongside of us. And then we're creating, you know, more of a coaching framework that says, here's what we're doing, you know, make your own decisions. That's truly the construct of what we're, we're executing at Wealthward Capital. Yeah, I appreciate the approach in the way that y your focus is being super transparent around. Here's how I have done it personally. Right. It's not just a here's how the textbooks say things are to be done. I was you not too long ago. Here's how I have done it personally. Not necessarily saying this is the way you have to go about it. But here is a framework that has worked for me and my family along the way. Like I noticed from, you know, checking out you guys website and doing a little bit of digging online before this episode that the focus seems to be really on education first and foremost. 100% because that's that's why I got into this business in the first place, Malcolm, and mm -hmm. at first I was very reticent to um to be you know, curating and creating investments for people. But when I realized that people needed an example of what worked well, that was important. And I have a group of my investors that have now gone on and they are passive investors and in investing in a lot of other investments that the group isn't invested in or others, but we bring them back to share what they've learned. Because at the end of the day, I know that I'm not going to be able to deploy all of the capital that you know my investors have but mm -hmm. more than anything i want to give them a snapshot of what is good and and show them because we're putting our you know family's money as the lead investor and you know and then continuing to all learn together one of the the classes i saw you teaching and, and presenting on uh, was something in the realm of the difference between thinking like an investor and, and thinking like a speculator <laughs> uh, which I yes. think is very interesting and apropos for the, the time in the market that we find ourselves in, where for the last two years, 2020 and 2021, we saw just this complete dislocation between reality and <laughs> normalcy and reasonableness and all the kind of things that we as professional financial planners uh, on my side are taught to uh uh, expect and help guide, you know, clients expectations around and, and be uh, t 
talking about and, and researching and those sorts of things, right? Like, uh, uh, there was a time when an average annual return of eight and a half to nine percent for the S and P 500 was impressive. And then the last couple of years that really got turned on it. If you were talking to yeah. somebody and you said you could reasonably expect to see an average annual return of nine percent a year, and that's over the course of five or 10 years, that's not even over an average of two or three, right? They would hang up the phone and say, this person's an idiot. He has no idea what he's doing. He's missing the boat, right? Because I could throw right. all my chips in GameStop and quadruple my money in an afternoon if I time it right and <laughs> go buy my mom a house, right? At least that was right. sort of the the mindset and the approach and the, you know, some of the attitude that was out there. And I, I know I'm painting with a broad brush. I don't mean that for everybody, but that was a lot of what you were getting online through social media, some of the people even who are reaching out through our podcasting channels and everything else. But now we're seeing this sort of returning to somewhat normalcy where the market started off 2022, not so hot. Then a war breaks out in Europe and the market starts to stall even more. And folks are going, wait a minute, the, the market that I was promised isn't so much what I'm seeing today. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate as I was looking, you know, at your your courses, your your online teaching that the focus was on uh, helping people to set realistic expectations. So all of that long buildup, just to say, could you give us a little bit on, you know, your approach to help people understand the difference between thinking like an investor and thinking like a speculator? Yes, I think that's important. And I think it applies, honestly, especially to technology employees, Malcolm, it applies to looking for a job as mm -hmm. well as much as it does investing your time and talent as much as it does investing your money and i think the biggest thing that we need to do is we need to figure out how to remove emotion because mm -hmm. emotion rules reason and so this is why you know the book i'm writing is really trying to give people a framework and a methodology for how do they think about the next manager they work for the next company they work for the same way in hot markets we need to be looking at the underlying fundamentals of the assets that we're purchasing across the board because that is truly at the end of the day what is going to you know, continue to increase the value of that asset. So removing emotion, number one, creating a due diligence process, you know, again, whether that's for the company that you're going to work for or the stock that you're going to buy or the real estate you're going to buy, a rinsable, repeatable process mm -hmm. that allows you to understand how you're going to analyze that asset. And the great news is there's a lot of different communities out there that can help people that are good, healthy communities. And then, you know, to your point, creating those realistic goals and expectations that says, wait a second, if I just do the math and I actually just look at what's the long, slow road to success mm -hmm. and I am just planning and cultivating in that direction, then you're going to get those bumps and pops along the way that help accelerate you. But then you're not going to be deviating from a plan. You're not going to be trying to time the market, which you know can be incredibly risky. And I think we've all seen a lot of people scorched by that. It's those types of things that really, truly build an investor and really have you think in that way versus a speculator. Yeah, I, I also think uh, more to the broader point, investing in real estate allows you the freedom to be as aggressive as you are about things like your career moves and the equity that you own in the different companies that you've worked for and those kind of things where maybe i work for uh, an airbnb 
or something like that in 2017, 2018, where an IPO is imminent, right? And obviously we're all going to be rich, right? That's kind of the, the way everybody's thinking about, but I guarantee you everyone who worked at WeWork felt the same way pre IPO attempt one and two, right? And so I, I just feel like making sure that you're not taking an ungodly amount of risk everywhere in your life, right? Being right. somewhat pragmatic about it. You own a significant portion of real estate or something else that's not correlated to the stock market that allows, you know, your your uh, act sort of as a ballast in your portfolio and helps keep your feet to the ground a little bit. It's simple, it's repeatable, it's uh you can you can set your watch by it, so to speak. Rents coming due right. are going to be the same, uh, whether it's the first or the third or the fifth when you receive them. But then also it allows you that uh, that comfort or that confidence to be able to stay in the startup world and to uh, go after that next role that's going to be a company that you're earning less in cash today for the promise of a bigger payout when there's a, a big exit. And you can comfortably do that because you're socking away enough cash in a stable, boring asset, whether it's real estate or something else. And so that's that's really what jumps out to me uh, in you know your approach to uh, making sure that you're, you're you're thinking more like an investor and in, in planning versus just going after the next big thing that's going to promise to go to the moon. Well, in your in your right, Malcolm, in the sense that it's all about risk management and diversification, right? It's mm -hmm. how much risk. And so it's interesting because I've had a lot of conversations with, you know, people that graduate from school and they want to go to work for the earliest stage startup for something that's very high risk. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I encourage them is to look at companies that have just gone public where liquidity is imminent. And it's interesting, too. A lot of companies are now uh, reducing the time to work that for liquidity right they're 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 reducing the you know it used to be a one-year cliff and mm -hmm. then you do four years you get quarterly some of them are reducing it to six months some of them depending on the role are, are providing liquidity in the first month and so one of the things i tell people is where do you want to go start generating that that big portion of equity that to your point you can put in these boring investments that create this financial backstop so that then you can manage your career more aggressively how you want to because you do have that backstop of checks that are coming in or checks that are being reinvested, whatever's right for you at that time, so that then you can choose, do I want to be more risky with my career or do I want to be more risky with my portfolio? Or, you know, I mean, portions of my portfolio, like yep. where do I want that risk and where do I not want it? That truly is then that to me is more like you need to get to the point where you can then you're truly thinking like an investor then because then you have different assets different levers that you can pull depending on you know what you want to achieve and and experiences that you want to have and my my uh take from what i like i said the the research that i did online before uh preparing for this this interview, my take is that you guys make a very clear difference or, or have a clear line in the sand between active investing and 
passive investing as it pertains to tech employees. Could you say a little bit more about you guys focus or approach that the difference between the two? So active investing is truly where somebody is going to do the research, buy a real estate asset and operate it. So we talk about active investing from a real estate perspective. We also talk mm-hmm. a little bit about it from, you know, stock perspective too, is do you want to actually actively manage your portfolio where you're doing the trades? Do you want more of a, you know, robo investor? Do you want a service to be provided for that? But that's truly where we want to make sure that for technology employees who are very busy in their day job, how much of that can they really actively participate in? Because if you are in an active mindset, it's going to take cycles, it's going to take time. And if you have that time and you want to invest it in the investment arena, great. If not, looking at passive opportunities that they have, you know, whether again, that's in the real estate market, they do as well through syndications, through funds where you can directly own assets, get all those same benefits, passive income, appreciation and depreciation that saves you on your tax dollars. You can do that passively, which you know, is phenomenal because then you can focus on your day job of trying to, you know, get on the team, get the next ring, uh, and, and then, you know, then invest even more and start, you know, creating that, that backstop and investing in that. Yeah, I, I dig it. And I mean, you guys, from, from what I saw, uh, in reading, you guys have something like 3000, uh, plus multifamily units under your belt. So I have to assume by now you've, you've really figured out sort of what the, the secret sauce is for you guys. So I, uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to, to share that, that approach and that perspective with us. Um, so Christopher, real quick, before I, I, I wrap here, my last question actually has absolutely nothing to do, uh, with real estate or investing, or I imagine probably not even tech. Um, so you can kind of relax your shoulders a little bit and, and, and take your, your wealth word, uh, hat off for a second. But, uh, if tomorrow, uh, you woke up and had to do something completely different from what you're doing today, but money wasn't a factor in your decision-making at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? I'd be doing something in education. I think my true passion is, is, you know, I'm loving the book writing, but I think authoring and educating, that's where I would choose to spend my time. Okay. That definitely sounds like a noble enough, uh, uh, approach and a noble enough profession and probably something you'll find your way to anyway, (laughs) one way or another before it's, before it's all said and done. So certainly appreciate you making the time to come on and, and, and talk to us. And uh, with that, uh, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? I definitely can. And I would say, yeah, with that book coming out, Christopher, I'm, I'm assuming that you're already on that educational path. So thank you so much for being on the show. Malcolm, of course, thank you for facilitating this and having him on the show. And our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you might have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at techmoney.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. 
And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...